Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of sports, DFS, and gambling. With over five years of hot takes and millions of downloads later, I guess he's been doing something right. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. And welcome to the show, everyone. We have plenty to discuss. We are going to talk through Super Bowl props, just what I'm leaning towards in terms of uh, uh, bets uh, available uh, for the game. And we have some controversy with the NFL Awards, which, frankly, I can't believe I actually have to talk about. Uh, it, but it's so stupid because of the, the voting format that I actually have to bring up the fact that this is why we're in the spot we are at times because people don't know how to do math. It, it, it's it's just it's just what it is. Uh, what can I say? But with that being said, first off, I want to talk about the New York Knicks. The Knicks actually made a trade that I actually am in full support of. I had a lot of question marks about the R.J. Barrett. Uh, and Emmanuel quickly for OG Ananobi trade. Oh, Ananobi, by the way, out with elbow surgery, uh, heading into his uh, uh, contract year. Uh, but I will say that I was not worried about losing Barrett. I was w- I was worried about losing quickly. That has been assuaged by the veterans on the team, like DiVincenzo and Hart, stepping up and and doing the job. But this trade. Essentially for the Knicks, where you only give up Quentin Grimes, who wasn't going to get enough playing time to develop the way he should in on an NBA roster. And I feel bad for Quentin Grimes, because basically he's getting sent to Detroit, which is a wasteland for NBA talent, because the Pistons have at least seven players that could be playing in that backcourt, and they're all logjammed with each other, so... I still don't think uh, uh, Grimes is going to get the uh, development time that he needs. But it is what it is. But the Knicks only gave up a second-round draft pick, and they get back Alec Burks, who slots in perfectly into the Grimes role and the quickly role. So we actually have someone who can run the point for Brunson, thankfully, so we don't run Brunson into the ground. But the piece of the trade that everyone's interested in is Bogdan ba- uh, Bojan Bogdanovich, who is a stretch forward who shoots threes. Guess what? This is not the trade people think it is because people are thinking about this trade as he's the guy to get everyone through for an extra role player uh, in the playoffs. No, 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 no. Don't get it twisted, folks. Bogdanovich is here to give an evaluation of what the Knicks are going to look like next year. Because I got news for you. The person who should be most concerned moving forward is Julius Randle. Julius Randle, who never shows up come postseason time and chucks a bunch of bad threes because the analytics say we need three-point shooting and Julius is the guy who's more than happy to oblige on that front chucking up shots. Guess what? Bogdanovich does Julius's job of stretching the floor with three-pointers 
exponentially better than Julius does. Even with Randall's improvements as a three-point shooter, Bogdanovich is, for his career alone, not even this year, his career alone is four percentage points higher as a three-point shooter. Bogdanovich is a over 40% three-point shooter. This is what the Knicks are looking for moving forward. The reason why I say Julius Randle is in trouble is the simple fact that if he no-shows, like he will, come postseason time, I mean, I hope for the best for the Knicks. But let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, you know, I because I always I give Dodgers fans a... a crap about this all the time when it came to Kershaw no showing when it actually matters and I gotta be re- I gotta keep it real and I and give the same energy to Knicks fans Knicks fans keep trying to say that it's a small sample size with Randall now folks are starting to get to the idea that like maybe this dude it just ain't built for this but there's plenty of you still saying that Randall can get it done for the Knicks in the postseason for those of you who still hold on to that pipe dream I'm going to say this, when Randall lets us down in the postseason, which he more than likely will, in the offseason, we now have more than enough pieces around Brunson that we can dump Randall and get back a player because we didn't give up any of our first round draft picks. Randall is a, a perfectly serviceable player in the NBA. He's just not a playoff player, caliber player. And because of that, if the Knicks truly want to make a title run, Randall's got to go and build a team around Brunson, who is more than capable, as he has shown, in getting the All-Star nod. He should have been a starter over Dame Lillard. Let's let's just be blunt about that. Should have been a starter over Lillard. But Brunson has shown that he is ready for the moment. And he showed that he was capable of leading the team last year. Barrett and Randall were nowhere to be found, as I pointedly noted last year. So, with Bogdanovich in play now for the Knicks as the stretch four, Julius's role starts shrinking as we move forward. And yes, Tom Thibodeau is not going to want to give up Randall. But guess what? This is not Tibbs' choice in the matter. So at the end of the day, when it comes uh, down to it, Julius Randle's got a ball out come postseason time. If he doesn't produce numbers and show up, because it's not just about the uh, the Knicks winning. Now we're, uh, we're in a spot where Julius actually has to produce numbers. Because we've seen the Knicks win playoff games because of Brunson. If Julius no-shows, and people used the the ankle excuse last year as why he couldn't play uh, play well in the playoffs. That's not the reason why he couldn't play well. Miami just uh, punked him out. They had like, bam, punked out Randall. Let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, Knicks fans know it. The Heat fans definitely know it and let us know about it. Randall knows it. Bam knows it. I mean, everybody knows what happened to Randall in the postseason last year. So, let's just not kid ourselves. But, it does give us the escape valve because, realistically, Randall's role 
in terms of the value that he supposedly brings to the team from an analytics standpoint is shrinking based off of the roster composition of the team now where we're more balanced that we don't necessarily need a tweener like Randall. We can actually prioritize a better player who's a better fit for postseason play and can bang on the boards and grab uh, 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 grab some uh, dirty points in the paint to help Brunson. So this trade deadline was a terrific time for the Knicks. Not so much a great time for Julius Randle because guess what? He's got to show up to work and ball out the rest of this year because if he doesn't, he is sure as <laughs> can be gone because the fan base and Trippy Toe, Leon Rose, and the management team will move him because they need to validate their mandate to James Dolan. So far, the trade moves are shifting towards making the Knicks a more balanced team. I didn't see I didn't see this uh, Bogdanovich trade happening. Uh, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop if it was going to be a major move with, involving Randall when RJ got traded. But I see that the Knicks are playing it out and giving him one last chance to prove himself. So we're going to see what we get out of the, the Knicks. So with this trade... You you actually don't even need to worry about because uh, like everyone was worried about the Knicks trading Randall for Carl Anthony Towns and that was going to be another disaster in the making. But with this trade, I think the Knicks are at least looking at other options so they don't need to focus on someone who's a uh, who's primarily shooting three pointers as a, a core component of their offensive game. So we're gonna see what the Knicks do. But I do actually have to say I'm more excited about the Knicks next year than I have been in quite some time. So, take for that what you will. We're going to be back after the break with uh, uh, some of the props I'm looking at. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. We'll be right back after our sponsors pay the bills. Welcome back to the show. Hope you got your popcorn ready. All right, we're back. So before we get into the props, one quick note to talk about with the NFL Awards show. Because the NFL Honor Show, it's just this prop that the league does to kind of pat themselves on the back. But the big source of controversy was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award which realistically is the feel-good story of the year award in the league for someone who overcame an injury or some type of adversity and and do well. I mean, basically most of the time it's just so they can highlight someone that overcame an injury. The league essentially had the DeMar Hamlin situation pan out, and I've already talked about this, so we're not going to rehash Everything. But literally, you had someone overcome death. It's not about playing in performance. Somehow, we got into this ridiculous notion that Joe Flacco should be NFL Comeback Player of the Year award because 
after the Jets somehow thought it was a good idea to let Zach Wilson be the backup QB and Joe found himself without a team, that because he got another NFL job the following year, that makes him the comeback player of the year because he played well in a Gary Kubiak-based uh, system. It's not a performance-based award. It's a freaking feel-good story award. I don't even understand the thought process of the voters going for this. But that's not even the case here. Because, yes, we have some idiot voters. But that's not even the, 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 the talking point. The talking point is the voting format. How are people this bad at math? The NFL voting system that they're going by and somehow Miles Garrett winning Defensive Player of the Year award over T.J. Watt will never cease to amaze me, despite the fact that Miles Garrett was not top five in any defensive metric category whatsoever. But that's another story. Let's focus on this DeMar Hamlin voting uh, with Joe Flacco. DeMar Hamlin had 21 first place votes for Comeback Player of the Year. Joe Flacco had 13. So you're asking yourself, Dwayne, how could Joe Flacco win Comeback Player of the Year? The answer is, the first place voters for DeMar Hamlin still want to acknowledge Joe Flacco by putting him as second place. The problem with that is that the voters voting for Joe Flacco just said DeMar Hamlin didn't play enough games and took him off the ballot completely. The scoring format being five points for first place, three points for second place, one point for third place, is that unless you're all in a general agreement on players and the evaluation criteria, the first place vote does not mean nearly as much as what the general consensus of the voters is. A first place vote should be worth, in this format, if you're going by this, it's at least 7 or 10 points. There should be at least double the value or more of the second place vote if you're going to go by a tiered scoring format. When we're doing uh, most of the breakdowns of, say, any Super Bowl boxes or pools, by and large, the best split you could hope for for second place is half of first place. So why on earth would a voting system, when you're trying to deal out awards, make first place worth less than double of what second place is worth? It makes no sense. It's it's one of the reasons why I laugh at the the, the whole premise of this, because A, you got voters thinking that this is a performance-based award when it's supposed to be a feel-good story. This is not a metric evaluation discussion. That's what we use for MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. That's what you're supposed to use uh, that metric for. This is supposed to be, yay, we, we, we we got our comeback player. This one, we actually had a very serious situation, and he actually came back to play next year. If he retired... That would be a different story. But you literally had Ryan Chazier win this award for uh, uh, not too long ago. It, like, I, I don't even, I can't, I can't even get into this. 
this this is beyond how ridiculous this whole process became. Ryan Chase even never even played football again and he won the award. I can't believe we actually got to this point. That we actually have to, A, have to re-explain to folks what the freaking award is. And B, that folks voting on this didn't understand the assignment and just kept putting Flacco in second place. When, again, this is supposed to be a feel-good story. A guy being out of a job uh, uh, to start the year and getting hired by another team is not a comeback player of the year award candidate. Like, that's not what this award is supposed to you know what? I, I give up. This is the stupidest thing I actually have to talk about in this system. And I've already given five minutes, which is five minutes more than this conversation needed to be. I'd rather talk about how Miles Garrett somehow got gifted the Defensive Player of the Year award over TJ Watt and about four other more deserving candidates or the fact that uh, CJ Stroud wasn't even on the NFL MVP ballot award, which is insane Compared to who else got nominated for NFL MVP. Like, the, the, the NFL writers are should be ashamed of themselves. The fact that I know the, the, the sport better. But again, part of this is the fact that most of these writers aren't even watching the other games. They don't even know who these other players are because they're only covering one team. The national writers are equally bad. They don't even have an excuse. But anyway. Be that as it may. We need to get to other topics because uh, we've already started running long on the complaints about how ridiculous the NFL voters are. Or the fact that Antonio Gates is still not on the Hall of Fame selection. You know what? I, I'm, I'm going... You know what? We'll say this for another time. This, this rant is for another time. The fact that Antonio Gates' numbers are... Better than Travis Kelsey's, and he's still waiting to even take. You know what? We are going to move on. We're going to move on. So, let's just get into the Super Bowl props, because I know a lot of you were asking about this, so let's just start talking through what we're looking to accomplish here. For most of the Super Bowl props you should be betting on, you should be looking at it from the standpoint of how are these teams going to play and what's their best avenue for winning? And realistically, both QBs, if you're looking at it, are able to move. Now, Brock Purdy is the younger QB, obviously, but he has at least shown some ability to scramble in the pocket. Now, granted, Detroit's one of the worst teams in the league uh, at defending uh, uh, QB runs, so... It did inflate its numbers, but when you look at it, the line on Brock Purdy's rushing attempts and rushing yards are too low, in my opinion. Brock Purdy's rushing attempts prop bet is at three and a half. Brock Purdy's rushing yards prop bet is at 12 and a half. The op- it opened at 10 and a half, but it's at 12 and a half uh, because 10 and a half was way too low. Uh, and people uh, bet that thing up. Both props are things you should be targeting because the Chiefs are still going to stack the line of scrimmage to try to beat uh, McCaffrey. But when they go single high, that means there's probably not going to be a spy in the middle of the field for Purdy. 
And there should be opportunities for Purdy to step up in the pocket, especially on third downs uh, when he has to convert short yardage. Rather than force a throw, he should be able to step up in the pocket and run for a first down if he's being efficient with the ball, which I'm assuming he's going to be efficient with making smart decisions. So there's opportunity there. On the flip side, we already know Patrick Mahomes is going to move. He doesn't have any uh, uh, feet injuries. Uh, like he, he's uh, un, uh, unlike in some past Super, Super Bowls where he had turf toe. Uh, he is not encumbered. He doesn't have an ankle injury that like he did last year. We don't actually have to worry about Mahomes scrambling. So when it comes down to it, we can look at Mahomes' rushing prop, rushing attempts prop at four and a half. I feel very good about that. Uh, realistically, I think we could uh, hammer that line, uh, pretty good, even more than Purdy's line. And then Mahomes rushing uh, yards prop bet is at 26 and a half yards. Started off at 25 and a half, so didn't get bet up as much, but there's still equal opportunity on the Mahomes side where Sam Fran's offense is going to, I mean, uh, is going, should at least put some pressure on the Chiefs to uh, keep the chains moving. I think San Fran's going to score on the Chiefs' defense. Now, everyone's expecting it to be tied to uh, McCaffrey. I think there's very much room uh, for Brock Purdy to put up numbers running on the ground against the Chiefs. So, in contrast, I think the... uh, Mahomes is going to have to find ways of keeping drives alive, and it's going to be through running. So, to me, this is, you attack both sides of the QB matchup with the rushing aspect. Everyone's going to be looking at passing. I think you should be looking at the rushing props and going from there. Moving on. Travis Kelsey. Taylor's boyfriend, however you want to classify him. The prop bet on Travis Kelsey receiving a number of receptions, if you will, is at six and a half. You take the over here. It's the Super Bowl. It's possibly his last game. I think the Chiefs know the fact that in order to beat the Niners, they're going to have to throw the ball. We're going to get to the Chiefs' primary method of moving the ball, but the guy who's going to take the, uh, get the most shots at beating the Niners is going to be Kelsey. They're, they're going to hitch their wagon to Kelsey, and this is the, the game where he's going to get uh, spammed uh, targets. I also like Noah Gray to catch a couple of passes as well, but I'm going to take the Kelsey over 6.5 receptions prop because that's just too low. I think there's going to be a lot of short yardage passes. I don't think they're going to take uh, the shots down the field. Because I know a lot of folks are looking at Sky Moore, Justin Watson, uh, <laughs> MVS. Uh, I mean, whew. But if they're not taking the shots down the field, that means they got to throw the ball somewhere. And that means it's it's probably going to Kelsey. It may not be deep, 
It may be only a five yard pass, but when we're talking props, that's the, the that's the key aspect. I'm not worried about the receiving yards. I'm focusing on the the total receptions, and I think he's getting somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to fourteen receptions, depending on how well he's going. We could easily look at a situation where Kelsey becomes a focal point of the offense and receives multiple looks in key spots during uh, third third down uh, possessions just because of the fact that if he's got it going, Mahomes is just going to keep feeding the hot hand. He's not going to go back to somebody's other place if Kelsey's got it going on. So that that's the reason why this could easily be a 12-plus uh, reception game for Kelsey in, in this type of environment where I don't see the Chiefs getting deep balls. They haven't been getting deep balls all year. I'm not necessarily seeing it uh, against this uh, San Fran secondary, even though they've been giving up yards. I think it's more along the lines of a catch and run. Uh, so that's why I look at uh, Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice could get there. But I don't love it. I don't love it. Uh, I think it's it's more likely that it's a big play for Rishi Rice. To me, the way this works is that, you know, the Chiefs are still going to spam the run and then use Kelsey. So for my aspect, we're going to be looking at Pacheco. I think uh, Pacheco's rush attempts uh, line at 15.5 is way too low. I think he gets somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 22 touches with the Rock. Uh, and we'll see where he goes from a rushing yard standpoint. I th- I still think he can... Looking how David Montgomery was able to gash this Niners line, I think the Pacheco line being under 70 is low. That's just me. I know I'm not in the consensus opinion on that. I know other folks are talking about that the Niners are, have shored up the rush defense. I'm sorry. The Packers ran on them. The Lions ran on them. I think Pacheco's better than both David Montgomery and uh, Aaron Jones right now. Uh, not the Aaron Jones in his prime. Uh, the, the Aaron Jones that we saw most of 2023. I think Isaiah Pacheco's better uh, better than both those guys. So, I think I think the the prop uh, because it keeps moving down. It it was just under 70. It's moving closer to 60 uh 67 and a half uh depending on which book you're in. I think Pacheco's looking north of 80 and he's going to get a lot of touches. So to me, this is a lot of Pacheco, a lot of Kelsey um or Rasheed Rice. That, and that's just kind of how I see the Chiefs offense going. I don't see I don't see a ton from the uh, the other guys. The only other guy I see going is Noah Gray when uh, Kelsey needs a blow. I think Noah Gray could get anywhere from four to five catches uh, tonight uh, just uh, based on how Kelsey's feeling at a given moment. But those are the props I'd be looking at is to target uh, the, ho- the horses of the Chiefs like so, you work on Mahomes, you work on Kelsey, you work on Pacheco, and you mix in a little Rasheed Rice, but don't get cute. I don't. I don't think that we need to be cute because I think the Chiefs are going to keep it relatively simple. Like they have not been going for the crazy elaborate play uh, these last couple of Super Bowls. I don't think they have. Like 
usually you do the trick play when you're the worst team. But the Chiefs right now, like, struggle enough running the basic co- the base concepts of their offense, so they had to pare it down even further. So, I mean, I think you're probably going to see a Wildcat. Uh, if you're going to see a trick play, it's going to be, like, Travis Kelsey running the Wildcat, not, like, or Blake Bell running the Wildcat. Yeah, the Blake Bell play could go, but it's still going to be a trick play that's going to Kelsey anyway. Um, or uh, Pacheco. And it's like, I don't think they're going to do, they're going to run the trick play and go with someone else. Um, so, yeah, that that's the long and short of it. Like, I, I really don't think we need to overcomplicate the props. I, I do think that this game goes under because I think because of how the scoring lines up, essentially, you're, you're, you're going into a, a situation where both teams are so run predicated that this game should be lower scoring because of the fact that the clock's going to keep burning with these rushing plays. I, I, I don't think it's that the fact that the defenses are going to like uh, just uh, stop uh, either squad. I just think the fact that because of the score uh, and the and the pace of the game being so so much slower, I think that's where we target the under forty seven and a half because realistically, this feels closer to a 44, uh, 44 and a half type of line because I don't think we're necessarily seeing the explosive plays over the top. I think I do think we're getting scoring. Don't get me wrong. The problem is the way I think both these are going to score. It's going to chew up enough clock that you're not going to get enough possessions to break the 47 and a half unless there's a defensive touchdown. If we get a defensive touchdown, of course, all bets are off uh, because that's a, just a spontaneous play that breaks things open. But I think it makes it a little bit trickier uh, in that regard. It's like we, we could easily see turnovers, but I don't necessarily see us getting a defensive touchdown uh, in the game, which is what... I think you're going to need to get to the over. So that's going to do it uh, for the props. Hopefully that kind of gave folks enough of an understanding of where I'm leaning in this game uh, in terms of uh, uh, some of the props and bets you can make on the side rather than the actual game itself. Uh, Day of Super Bowl, we're going to have a show. Uh, We'll see if we can get my pops on from Trinidad. Uh, Not likely, but... uh, there's always a chance, uh, but we're gonna uh, we're gonna cover uh, the Super Bowl day of. Uh, give my final thoughts on the, uh, uh, from a DFS standpoint as well as a betting standpoint um, on the game itself, and then yeah, it's been a hell of a year. But uh, I, I can only say that uh, should be. I, I expect a good game. I, I do expect a good game. I hope for a good game, but I do expect a good game. Uh, uh, given the, given the teams involved, it's like I'm I'm not overly impressed by the performance of uh, <laughs> the squads, but it should be relatively even match given the coaching dynamic and the skill position players. That I have better hope for this game uh, compared to some other matchups where you might have gotten a little bit more volatility. So. Uh, that's going to do it for now. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show and until next time, have a good one. 
Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major outlets. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.